0: I need a re- says that through the first man, Adam, one man's transgression, just through one man's offense. Romans 5, verse 17. For he, by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who have received abundance of grace. Somebody say abundance of grace. Come and say it again. Say abundance of grace. Say it for the last time. Say abundance of grace. So they said those who have received abundance of grace and the gifts of righteousness. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Who? I can't hear you. Who? Who? Man has been able to do many things. Man has many inventions to his credit. Man is powerful. Man can unlock the forces of the universe. Man can conjure things. Man, you know, God was (laughs) talking uh, uh, about man. You know, he gave man assignments In the Bible, for instance, God told Adam to name all the animals, and he was meeting them for the first time. And whatever name you call a thing is what a thing becomes. So, by implication, man, the first man, Adam, had the God given capacity to be able to read into what a creature of God was supposed to be and name it according to its purpose. I don't know if somebody stayed with me today. Man is powerful. Man is the epitome of God's creation. He is so loaded with potentials. And like I said, man has the capacity to conjure the forces that govern the universe. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. A traptide being able to connect in the spirit, connect in the physical, and connect intellectually. That's man. Man is powerful. Is tap your neighbor for me and tell your neighbor you're powerful. (laughs) The only creature that can exist on the three major planes of life almost unhindered that's man. You know, the reason why we don't see angels all the time is because they they don't have (laughs) uh, uh, what it takes to exist in this plane ordinarily. We can exist here. When I switch to my power of imagination, I can catch up with what is going, what has gone in the past and what will come on in the future. That's how powerful man is. And then when I I connect vitally with God, I can pick signals in the spirit. That's how powerful man is. The only thing man has not been able to handle and conquer is sin. So man can control the forces of the universe, but man has not been able to control the forces within him. That's why man struggles and, you know, fumbles and wumbles through life, unable to conquer himself. And when Christ came, and thank God Christ came, because when Christ came, something happened differently. God, came in the flesh to prove to man that what it takes to conquer the inner forces of man, what it takes to bring, to to get man to a point where he can capture himself, is in Christ. And God demonstrated this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That for man to be able to capture himself and for him to gain the power of ascendancy over and against the forces that are within him, that man must first and foremost go through that process where he can lay down, where he can sacrifice, where he can lay down his life. The way up is down, we say. But a lot of the time we don't understand it truly, through the, the, uh, the, the, the angle from which Christ was coming from. What am I saying this morning, ladies and gentlemen? Christ came to demonstrate to us that sin can be conquered. But man is still trying to grapple with that. Because when we say sin can be conquered, the moment I said it right now, somebody here is still checking himself, when was the last time I sinned? That's, that's where our mind goes to a lot of the time. But I want you to understand something this morning. The Bible talks about what Christ did. And He said, if by one man's offense, sin came into the world, From this statement only, if you look at it very carefully, then you understand that God's understanding of sin is different from my understanding of sin. It says, if by one man's offense, sin came to reign. It's not talking about the verb sin that you and I reckon with. Verb doesn't come. It's a noun. Uh, uh, 99% of the places in the Bible where you see the word sin, or let me say 98%, It addresses sin as a noun, not a verb. But when man thinks about sin, we think about sin as our actions. We don't think about sin as this powerful force, as this this person that is trying to dominate us, over over whom we, we need the power to say no. I just say we made this morning. There's only one remedy for sin, and that's why Christ came. Because if he didn't come, man would be under the dominion of sin forever and ever and ever. And I want you to cast your mind back this morning and look at sin from the point of view of a tyrant, of a person. Not a verb, not what you and I grapple with. Not what you and I try to struggle with. So there's a, I mean, there's the reign of, uh, you know, of terror, tyranny, sin. Look at at him more as a person. And then somebody came into the world and says, this reign has to come to an end, and I'm going to demonstrate to you how this can come to an end. And there's only one way it will come to an end, and that's by introducing one other, if it, for, for the want of a better word, one other person who has the power to deal with this person. I wanted to just you know come along with me this morning. And I'm talking about grace. It takes grace to conquer sin. When sin came into the world, man started to malfunction. Before the first man, Adam, lost it to the power of sin, man had not encountered transgression or any form of sin before. And you know, law started from the garden when God said, Don't do this, do this. And the moment that comes in, man gains a consciousness of wrong and right doing. So the Bible says here in First Corinthians, I mean, sorry, in the Romans chapter five that we read, that for if by one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, what Christ did when he laid his life down for you and I, the devil couldn't understand it. In fact, he orchestrated it. But he didn't know it was the way, what God had in mind, to turn everything around for us. One man's offense made all men sinners. One man's righteousness will impute righteousness on every man that will come to work on the face of the heart. One man's offense, one man's right standing. What am I saying this morning? I've said one thing, and that's that you need to see sin beyond the act. You need to see sin as a force, as a person. But secondly, you need to also understand that because Christ came, died and rose again, The Bible says when he rose from the dead, we were reasoning with him. And that is like defiling, you know, when you defile uh, uh, gravity. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's like when, you, when you're supposed to be coming down, but yet you're going up. You're supposed to be coming down, but yet you're going up. Ladies and gentlemen, have you seen a man falling freely uh, from maybe like 30,000 feet before? It's expected that the man will fall freely and the next appointment should be with uh, the pavement or, or the ocean or whatever is available. But when you have a parachute in your hand, what happens? The moment you flick the parachute, you then gain control over how, I mean, over the fall to a very large extent. You know, you you, you can can almost entirely determine maybe what direction you would drift towards. And that's what happens when grace was made available in Christ. We started to gain that control on life. We're no longer debtors to sin, like Paul said. We are no longer debtors to sin. We are now debtors to righteousness, to grace. And it's because of what Christ did, liberating you and I from the tyranny of sin. And sin, not just the act of what I'm doing, of what I'm going to do, of what I've done in the past, but a force that is at work in the universe. And Christ said this force, should no longer have dominion over you and I. God sent Jesus by his grace because of the sacrifice. We don't have to perish because of the sacrifice. Do you know what it takes for this sacrifice, you know, to pan out the way it did? I mean, I asked my wife a question yesterday. I said, why did Jesus make the statement? Father, why Have thou forsaken me, King, King James? Why did you leave me? As in, if you don't understand the importance of that statement, you may not understand what I'm saying this morning. Jesus said, why did you forsake me? For the first time, he experienced what you and I experienced when we sinned against God, when we sinned against God. Because what happened then, my sin and your sin was on him. God could not behold iniquity. So for the first time, there was a big war between father and son. And when he hung on the cross with all that, my sin was nailed to that cross with him. And you see, when I say my sin, a lot of the time when we say these things, what comes to your mind is maybe the lie that I told you yesterday, you know, and all that. And, you know, the money I'm supposed to remit that I didn't remit. And, oh, Jesus, thank you for giving me. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. What Christ did on the cross was that the, the power of sin was nailed on the cross with him. The, the very act was the payment to get sin off the streets. And to take his power and dominion off the earth. And you know what happened? After the sacrifice was paid, then the next thing was for you to get the goods delivered. And even Sunday morning Christ did not wake up, he did not rise from the dead, that sacrifice would have been in vain. Are you still with me today? That sacrifice would have been in vain. It would have been... uh, um, it would have just been an extreme spot. You know, somebody who just wanted to try something. But when he rose from the dead, what happened? Heaven reckoned with it. Earth reckoned with it. That the hold of sin is finally broken, broken over man. I can choose to live my life either struggling to be good or taking the free gift that comes from Christ. And you know what? God understands that man has a capacity to be aware of sin without without anybody prodding the man. Look at all through the Old Testament. When an angel appeared to anyone, when God appeared to anyone, the first thing they would say is, depart from me. Because I'm a sinner. That's the first thing they will say. So when man sees God's holiness, man recognizes his sin. The only thing man is still grappling with that he's not been able to recognize and understand very well is to see God and see his love. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not difficult for somebody to know I'm struggling. But why is it so difficult for us to see love and recognize love? And know that he loved us so much, he paid the price. And because the price has been paid, it is finished. Say amen, somebody. Or say better, amen, somebody. I said, because the price has been paid, then it is finished. When I come under grace, therefore, I start to recognize and see things differently. So I don't see myself as a condemned sinner. I see myself as someone under the influence of the love of God. When issues of life show up, I remember that Christ died so that I will not be a struggler. So I come under grace. And like I said, grace is like the parachute. When you come under it, even when you're falling, it's not like somebody that is helpless. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You know that This this thing, uh, uh, at the end of the day, I have a bit of control on where I land and what happens to me at the end of the day. The big deal this morning is, will I live my life by grace or will I live it struggling? Will I live my life by, can I help myself at all when it comes to pleasing God? Listen, gentlemen, the righteousness which is of Christ. It's not of works. It's a gift. It's a gift. And we say it's a gift with a lift. Because when you have that gift, it's that gift that helps you to be able to see God the way you're supposed to see him. I can see God as an odd, another tyrant, another terror, like where I was coming from, you know. But I can at the same time see God as a father of love. When I see him, I don't see condemnation. I see grace. I see his works in my life. And I rejoice in the fact that God is at work in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when you read verse 7 to 9, look at what Paul had to say. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a turn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet. Lest I exalt, I be exalted above measure concerning the things, these things, I plead with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is, somebody says sufficient. Come on, say it again, say sufficient. I can't hear you say sufficient. Let's say it for the last time, say sufficient. What does that word communicate to you? sufficient, more than enough, adequate, able to cover the ground, whatever it is. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, when things are working for me, I need grace. When it's not working for me, I need grace, especially when things are not working. And the Bible says, grace is sufficient. Paul said, my grace is sufficient. That's what God told him. He said, my grace is sufficient. We come into situations in life where we literally feel that the grace of God will not be sufficient. So we want to try stuff on our own and, you know, do all kinds of things. It's in the same vein that man always likes to please God by trying. But when man understands and recognizes that God said his grace is sufficient, When Christ died and rose, what happened? I literally swapped prison yards. You see, in life, man cannot be... How do I put it? Man cannot be just a a free moral agent, like some people say. It's not possible. It's either you are imprisoned to sin, or you have been captured by grace. You can't exist without any of the two. Yeah. So what happened when we gave our life to Christ? We just swore prison. So Paul said, I'm a debtor. I used to be a debtor to the flesh. But now I'm no longer. So he said, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. And I said, you should see sin as a person. And when I say yes to Jesus, what I've done is to come under grace. And then, under grace, the Bible says the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus. When you come under grace, what happens? Your righteousness is no longer your own, and it's not by works. See, except you have given your life to Christ, you may not be able to grasp what I'm saying this morning. God never promised us perfection; He only promised us a gift, and that's a gift of righteousness, and that gift switches our minds to begin to see God as a God of love whom we cannot hurt. And so when we refuse to allow sin to have dominion over us, we're doing that because we love him so much, we cannot afford to hurt him. And then we have this new nature that allows us to focus on the God of love and to be on that right side of God. I need a, for a meal, where the